This morning, our scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. We continue to think about the promises of God. It says, and we know. I like that word. We know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he also called, he also justified. Those he also justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was a kid... I was fascinated by the Apollo space missions. In fact, as an adult, I've spent a little bit of time going back and reading and, and listening to some things about those Apollo uh, space missions. You remember those Apollo space missions? Uh, they were pretty transformative events. In fact, if you look back at it, I think we've almost forgotten how exciting it was to, to send people to land on this object out there in space. Absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, of course, the most famous of all the Apollo uh, missions was Apollo 11. That was Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and James Collins uh, that went and, 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 and did that mission. But the one I want to think about just for a moment is the Apollo mission just before that. I don't know how they count it, but before Apollo 11 was Apollo 8. And Apollo 8 was a really, really big deal. It happened uh, less than a year before Apollo 11. But Apollo 8 was the one that was the first man-made craft, individual traveling, to leave the Earth's orbit. Uh, that's one of the things that I hadn't really understood is that really it was kind of we orbit the Earth or we orbit the moon. I kind of thought that in preparation... 
you would just kind of go like halfway there and then come back just to test it. But that's not how it works. Basically, uh, lunar travel is about a slingshot from the Earth's orbit, and you come back by a slingshot coming back. So the idea of just kind of going halfway to a rest stop halfway there and then just kind of turning it around, putting it in reverse, coming back doesn't work. So this was a dramatic thing. We had never left the Earth's orbit, and now we are traveling all the way uh, to the moon. Uh, in fact, they circled the moon 20 times, took the first pictures uh, of the moon from up close, took the picture of the Earth rise. It's one of the most famous pictures uh, ever taken, uh, this picture of the Earth rise. You'd love to see it sometime. It's a really great <laughs> picture. It'll take your breath away. Just imagine it in your mind's uh, eye of what that picture might look like. Um, Part of what happens when they're circling the moon, though, is that when they're on the other side of the moon, they would completely lose all communication with earth. And so sometimes we talk about being on the dark side of the moon or the far side of the moon. And for 20 different times, every time that ship went to the back side of the moon, and it only took about four minutes, everybody in that space capsule, everybody there in Houston held their breath because they needed to know that they were going to come out on the other side just in the exact same spot that they had planned to. If they got off track, if their orbit had deteriorated, if something had happened in there, the whole thing would not only be a spoiled mission, but it could cost the lives of every one of the crew members. Because on the far side of the moon, you are completely alone. I want us to think about our promise this morning. I want us to be thinking specifically from the passage that we read this morning. I want us to be thinking specifically about Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It's a really familiar passage of scripture. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. One of the things that I want you to know in this passage of Scripture, I want you to know that from this passage of Scripture, that the promise that we have today is that God's goodness is something I expect can experience in all of my life. So what is the promise this morning? Uh, the promise says I can experience God's goodness through all of my circumstances. Here what I want you to know is that when it comes to our life in Christ, there is no far side of the moon. There is no dark side of the moon where you are cut off and isolated and you have to hope that when you get through whatever happens on that back side of the moon that everything is okay and safe when you get back. There is no place that you, there is no circumstance that we can walk our lives through that God is not in the middle of that place. I can experience God's goodness through all of my circumstances. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, to fully appreciate this this morning, there are a couple of things that before we can really dig into what this passage says, I do have to just kind of make clear a few things that this passage does not say. Some things that maybe just as we kind of run this right past our ear that we may be hearing that are not in the text. Here are some things that I want to make sure that you hear 
This passage does not say, this passage does not say that all things are good. There there are some things that happen in this world. There are some things that happen to us. There are some things that we may be walking through in this moment that this passage does not call on us to paint and call good. There are some things that, that we are experiencing. There are some things that we may be a victim to. There may be some things that are broken inside of us. There may be some things that we are choosing in our lives that are not good. And this passage does not call all things good. This passage in a similar statement does not say that all moments are good. This is not a verse that tells you that life is like Pollyanna that just says everything is great this moment, everything is great this moment, and you're supposed to walk around with a plastered artificial smile on your face that guarantees that everything is great because not all moments are good. And this passage does not promise us that every moment of our life is good. It also does not say that all good is instant. But we, we would like that. We would like that every good thing in our life would just kind of explode onto the scene. Boom. It would just happen. Boom. It would just happen. It would be right here in front of us. Not all, not all things are good. Not all moments are good. Not all good is instant. But let me assure you there is plenty of good news inside of this passage. There's plenty of great news for us in this passage because all things work together for good. I can experience God's goodness through all of my circumstances. All right, are you with me? All right, here we go. Number one, God is at work in your life. God is at work in your life. One of the things that this passage says at the foundation point is that you are not alone. And in fact, you are not on your own. You see, this passage tells us that for those that are in Christ, for those that know him, to those whose lives have been given to him, he is constantly working on your behalf. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation that you may be in, in this hour, God is working, I want to say behind the scenes, but sometimes he's working in front of the scenes, in the middle of scenes, in all of the scenes. He is at work. Now, we need to take a moment and just kind of think about what it looks like when God is at work in our life. You see, I I think that it's clear that God works in several different layers in our lives. The, The first thing is that God works... Because his hand is in all of history. He he created the sun. He created the moon. He created the seasons. He created all of the life-giving things that we experience in life. He, He has created our bodies to be such finely tuned instruments. He has provided for us everything that we need to exist. Sometimes theologians will call this... God's working in history and in the lives of every single person, sometimes they will call this common grace because it is the goodness of God that is experienced by every single person. So I want you to know that God is at work in your life because of common grace. There are things that he has provided for every person who has ever drawn breath, starting with that breath 
that God just gives to us out of his goodness. And every person experiences those things. I would also tell you, though, that we need to think about how God works. It is also true that God has granted us a degree of free will. He gives you and your neighbor the ability to choose differently from his will. That's one of the gifts that he gives to us. That's a gift that he gave to Adam and Eve there in the garden. That's the whole story of the tree. It wasn't about this fancy, fancy fruit. It wasn't about anything other than it was God said don't, but he gave them the ability to say do. That's what made the relationship between us and God a real relationship because there was a choice. If there is no choice, it's not really a relationship. And ever since the beginning of our existence, God has put inside of us the ability to choose yes or to choose no. He gives us that freedom. Now, I got to tell you, we haven't always done great with that freedom. And in fact, I would say that there's a whole bunch of the mess of the world today that's because we have misused that freedom. And I I can't speak on God's behalf, but I got to think sometimes there's an immense amount of frustration that comes from God getting the blame for the things that we chose. Well, we don't like the way the world is when we're the ones that really kind of set it up in that way. It was our freedom. It was our choices. So there is good that God provides to every person because it is common grace that he provides. But there's also a limit to where he works inside of our life by his choice to give us freedom. But this passage emphasizes for us that to those who yield their life to him, He will work directly on your behalf. Hear that. When we yield our lives to him, when you yield your life to him, he will work directly on your behalf. Listen to Psalm 145, verses 16 and 17. It says, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's a God working on our behalf. It says, The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. That is the God that is working on our behalf. And this is what happens in the middle of all things. That God who seeks to satisfy the greatest cravings in our life, to pour out his goodness and his kindness on our behalf, he says in the middle of all of those things, He is pouring his goodness into our lives. Even the most difficult of circumstances that you may face, he is pouring his goodness into your life for those who have yielded their lives to him. And this happens in the middle of all things. Now you may say, all things? I mean, all things? Well, the Spirit kind of knew that you would ask that question. So back here in Romans chapter 8, remember the closing of that passage. It says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
Verse 36 is kind of a, a clumsy verse to read sometimes. It says, that as, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The psalmist is saying, listen, we, we face life and death all of the time. Is this really the goodness of God? Verse 37, he says, no. Even when we face death all the time, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So when he says all things, he really means all things. God is at work in your life. There is no dark side of the moon when it comes to the work of God in the life of a believer. This passage also tells us that the end is good. This passage tells us that the end is good. Back to verse 28 and 29, it says, We know that all things, we know that for those who love God, all things work together. For those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Sometimes we can get a little carried away with ourselves and we can get excited about something, something that we really think that we ought to be able to do, something that we ought to be able to have, something we ought to be able to achieve, something that really belongs to us. And we may stand up on some rock someplace and say, this is my destiny. You ever done, done that, stood up on a rock someplace and yelled that out and said, this is my destiny? It's, it's a little much, you know, if you've ever done it. I mean, I'm not telling you how to live your life, but it, it's a little much to go standing around and say, this is my destiny. But hear this verse. Hear this verse. You don't just have a destiny. You have a predestiny. You have a predestiny. This says that before the creation of the earth, before you were born, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, before the beginning of time, God said, I have a plan for you. So go stand up on that rock and say, I have a predestiny. And here is that predestiny for your life. Here is that predestiny for your life. It says that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. What is that predestiny? That predestiny is that from the beginning of time, he says that what he begins in you, he will finish in you. And if you become one of his, if you yield your life to him, he will finish in your life what he starts, no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulty, no matter the obstacle, no matter any of the things, height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation is going to be able to stand in the way of what God wants to do in your life. 
Now understand what it is that he wants to do in your life is he wants to make you look like Jesus. That's what he wants to do in your life. We've been talking about that for the last several months that we've been talking about a disciple joyfully pursues the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus. To look like Jesus. That's the goodness that he plans in your life. Now, you may think about that and say, I don't know, I, I, I kind of had a different destiny planned in my life. That, that seems to be kind of a small thing just to look like Jesus. I, I kind of ha- had wanted some money and I had wanted these relationships and I had, had wanted this fame and, and I had wanted all of these other things. But Jesus says, no, what, what I want for your life above everything else is for you to look like Jesus. Now listen, don't run past that. Because as he makes our lives look more like Jesus, you know what he's doing? He is restoring, repairing, and fixing every broken part of your life. Hear that again. He is restoring. He is renewing. He is fixing every broken part of your life. Now, what on earth would you want more than to have all the broken pieces of your life to be fixed by Jesus himself? He will restore every broken part. The end is good. Now, we talk about this all the time, and it's one of the challenges that we have in our theology. I said, okay, the end is good. I like the fact that the end is good, but what about right now? Well, what about the hard stuff that I'm dealing with right now? Well, this passage also tells us that the journey has a purpose. The journey has a purpose. What about right now? It stinks right now. And it's a very real possibility that it stinks right now. I mean, I'm not trying to say that about your life, but, but I would say we, we spend so much time in our lives daydreaming about a time ahead in which everything will be perfect. Every section of our life will be whole and healthy and line up just right. Our kids will be right. Our job will be right. Our health will be right. Our own spirits will be right. The, the country will be right. And we, 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 we just dream of a day in which all of the things will just line up and be great. Anybody have those daydreams at all? Maybe it's just, just me. Looking back, how many moments in your life have you had where it all lined up? Now, let me just, okay, zero. So sometimes I don't know where we get this expectation that in the future, everything's going to be great. I'm like, okay, you mean like the last time everything? No, there was no last time. That, that everything was great. So it is a very real possibility that at least one part of your life right now is a struggle. And so you're asking, but what about right now? What about the part of my life that stinks right now? I want you to know that he speaks to this. 
I want you to know that you're not alone sitting here in this room having a part of life that just isn't where it's supposed to be. But I want you to know that your journey, even this moment in the journey, has real purpose. In fact, that is the whole point of this promise. There is no dark side of the moon. Regardless of the circumstances that you're in right now, no matter of the friction, the difficulty that you're facing right now, he says, I can use that to get you where you need to be. Listen to these verses that speak to that. Romans chapter 5. This is a little bit of what we already read this morning. It says, through him... We have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but hear this. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Listen to 1 Peter. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, your more precious than gold and perishes though it were tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God says, listen, that difficulty, that frustration that's in your life, that is something that he is at work using and doing. He may not have caused it. He says, but I can use it to get you to where you need to be. Think about the milestones of life going all the way back to the beginning, learning to walk, learning to talk, catching a ball, driving a car, piano lessons, talking to a girl, or talking to a boy, closing a sale, getting certified, getting a job, all those kinds of pieces. Didn't they come with hardships, challenges, frustrations, frictions, drawbacks? Isn't it likely that your spiritual maturity won't take a similar path as well. That it is in the friction. It is in the challenge. It is in the endurance. It is in the sticking in there that God says, that's how I'm building you into a person that looks like Jesus. Remember, if we will let him, he will be at work in all of it. That's why you can experience God's goodness through all of your circumstances. We looked at that last paragraph 
Thinking about all of those circumstances. And he talks about trials and tribulations, famine and persecution, uh, nakedness and danger and sword and uh, even death and life and angels and rulers. The things that are coming, the things that have already happened, the things that are going on right now. He says, none of those things can stand in the way. But there's one more thing that he's, he talks about in this passage. And that is he talks about he talks about the fact that God will be on our side no matter what. Now there's a question, really no matter what? You know, my, my life has got some broken things. There's, there's some sins. There's some dark places. I don't know about the dark side of the moon, but I got some dark sides of me. How does that work? I'm not really worthy to have all of that attention from God. I don't know that God is really going to choose me from the whole population of the universe to say, you're a person, I'm a person that deserves the goodness of God poured into my life. But if you look here, beginning in verse 31, there is this statement that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And there's this question in these verses that says, who's going to bring a charge? Who's going to bring an accusation? Well, God's the only one that can bring an accusation. Well, you know what? He sent his son to die on your behalf. And it goes through this whole list of people who could bring a charge against you, and it discovers that they're not your opponent, but they're your defense. It's almost as though you're in this courtroom before God himself, and you know that you are guilty of this whole list of things. And the prosecutor is Jesus, and he is there, and he knows everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever thought, everything that you ever wished that you could do that was not the right thing. And he's got it. He's got pictures. And he's ready to read that list of your guilt and he stands there from the prosecutorial table. And when it's time to bring a charge, he gets up from the prosecutor's table and comes and sits next to you at the defense table. And he says, I have no charges to bring. Listen to this. What God wants to do in your life if you will yield your life to him, is that he wants to move from prosecutor to defense in your life. And he'll do it if you will let him. Now, you could look at the prosecutor standing up, coming over to your table, getting ready to sit at your side and say, no, I got this on my own. I wouldn't recommend that. But it's been done. Hey, you could look at the prosecutor getting up and getting ready to come and sit down next to you on your side, and you could say, you know what? I'm tired of the fact that you've got a list of the things I've got. No. And you could say, I'm not interested. Hey, it could be that you look at the prosecutor and say, I don't agree with the list. And you say, No. Listen, there are people who say no to Jesus all of the time. 
But what he wants to do is he wants to move from prosecutor to defender of your life if you will let him. And if you will let him, he will work through every inch of your life, past, present, and future, to move you to the ultimate goodness that he has planned for your life. So how do you do that? It's a simple conversation. We say that every week. It's a simple conversation. Not between me and you, not between you and a church, not between priest or anything else. It's a conversation where you speak to Jesus. Say, I need you to be my defense. And I yield my life to you. And I receive the forgiveness of everything on that list that you want to give me. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And if that's the conversation that you need to have, would, would you do that today? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, if there's someone in this room that hears this, understands this, has had their heart softened for the first time, Lord, I, I pray. Lord, I, I pray that they would just call on you to be their master and their forgiver the defender of their life. We pray this in your name. Amen.